welcome back to A Bit of Fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I am glad you're here. This is season four, just in case you're diving right into episode four, where we're talking about romantic comedies, the good, the bad, the complicated feelings about it all. And today's conversation, it has all the feels. Today, we're talking about the zany 1959 pillow talk and the 2003 parody Down With Love. I have no story to tell, really, as we dive into the conversation, except that I did find myself in a Doris Day rabbit hole once upon a time. Surprise, surprise. I'm always in one way or another, in some form, a pop culture rabbit hole. And I also met her personal assistant at a random event at my library. But that's it. That's all I've got to share on the personal front today, (laughs) today, really. I mean, I'll have a lot of feelings about the movies themselves, but... There's not a lot of an introductory story to tell. So let's just start. Let's start with Pillow Talk, the classic starring Doris Day and Rock Hudson. So once upon a time, there was a thing called the party line. It was a time before where there were individual phone lines in each home. So separate households were forced to share. This meant that if I was using the phone and you, dear listener, were my party line mate, you could pick up the phone at your residence and hear everything I was saying to my mother. (laughs) Because that's legit the only person I talk to on the phone. Seems crazy, right? Now, nowadays, we're afraid of the government tapping our phones, but in the 1960s, apparently it was all just fair game. So Jan, played by Doris Day, is an interior designer. I'm throwing that in because it's going to become important later. And she hates her party line mate. Brad, played by Rock Hudson, who is a composer. He enjoys talking with women on the phone at all times of day. The thing is, Brad is a cad. I like how that rhymes. He sings them each, each of these women, a song he has composed. It's the same song, though. He just changes the name and the lyrics, and he makes them each believe that he only has eyes for them. You are my inspiration, Jan. Jan. Or so it goes. So fed up with Brad's antics, Jan goes to the phone company to complain. But too bad for Jan because they send out a a woman to talk to Brad. And thus another woman falls to his devilish charms and her issues with the phone don't get resolved. I'm not crazy about that plot point that, that a woman, any woman cannot resist his charms. That a woman can be professional and just do her job. But It's a sex comedy from the 1960s. So anyway, so they come to, Jan and Brad, they come to a not-so-agreed-upon schedule for phone use. But Brad doesn't seem to really like schedules, so it's not going great. Meanwhile, Jan is being wooed by Jonathan, played by Tony Randall. He's a rich businessman who keeps asking her to marry him, and she keeps refusing. He buys her expensive gifts, like a car, which is awkward. He flowers her with praise and attempts to kiss her, but she feels nothing romantic towards him. He is just a client that she does like. Turns out that Jonathan is Brad's good buddy and benefactor. He's supporting the Broadway show that Brad is writing. Did you see that coming? And Brad quickly realizes that the woman Jonathan can't stop talking about is none other than his pessimistic party line mate, Jam. Then Jan gets a real party invitation, not a party line invitation, to a client's home one evening. This is just a scene I want to talk about. It does lead to their eventual meeting, but I could have skipped to that. I'm not going to because we have to talk about this scene. So she's dressed to the nines, looking beautiful in a lovely white gown with elbow-length gloves and a wrap, but she's ready to leave. She's had her fun. She's ready to go home. 
this particular client isn't her favorite person in the world, but she wants to keep up a good rapport with her. So the hostess, though, suggests that she allow, that Jan allow the hostess's son to drive her home um, since she's going back into the city and that's where he's headed anyway. Her son, Tony, he's a Harvard man from school, home from school. So Jan accepts, and after we see them speed away from the house, we cut to them pulled off on the side of, road, of the road with Tony, the Harvard man, sexually assaulting Jan. He is forcing himself on her while she clearly says stop and no several times, and the whole scene plays off as oh, boys will be boys. An amusing example of frisky male behavior. At one point, Jan gets him off of her long enough to tell him she's going to tell his mother about the behavior, and he responds with, it's your word against mine. I hate this scene so much because they play it off as a comedy, and it is in no way a comedy. And, it, and not only is there the whole sexual assault, but that she is Un, either unwilling or unable to just get out of the car. And he he is much younger than her. So it's not even, not that that makes any sort of a difference, appropriate age, but it's just a wrong scene all the way around. So then we cut to them at a nightclub. Yes, they're still out together this evening. Jan had to agree to one drink in order to convince him to drive her home. So the scene gets worse. Tony, by this point, is obviously intoxicated and she just puts up with it. And this grown woman who could walk away at any time and get in a taxi, she doesn't. She just sits there. And as luck would have it, Brad sits down in the booth behind them with one of his many lady friends, and he immediately recognizes her voice. So when Tony passes out on the dance floor, because she does get up and dance with him even, Brad steps in to help, but uses a Texan accent and refers to himself as Rex. And then the game is afoot, all in the name of sticking one to Jan. He's going to play the boy next door, the awkward, docile country boy who is visiting the big city and in hopes that Jan will just eat it up, that he claims she's not looking for the kind of relationship that he has been participating in with all these other women. So he's trying to prove her wrong. Um, so she eats it up hook, line, and sinker. Then he tries to get into her head as himself on the par party line, trying to make her doubt Rex's intentions. So they go out on some dates, and in a matter of days, Jan has fallen completely head, to, head over heels for Rex. And whether he would admit it or not, Rex slash Brad has fallen for Jan, but refuses, refuses to give up the scam. So then Jonathan finds out what's been going on and forces Brad to leave the city because apparently he has the power, the power to do that. That never made a whole lot of sense to me. So he's going to send Brad off to his own country house in Connecticut because one, Brad has some music that's due and Jonathan wants the music he's paying for. And two, Jonathan wants to get Brad as far away from Jan as possible. But too bad for Jonathan. Brad invites Jan along and the two escape to the country. When they take a break from smooching in front of the fire, Brad's going to go get some firewood. Jan gets up and is just kind of walking around the house. She discovers some sheet music with the melody and lyrics to the song that Brad uses to woo his lady friends over the party line. And that's when she realizes she's been played. So she gathers her luggage and heads to the door. At the exact same moment, Jonathan storms in to stop whatever is happening in the house because he had gone to Jan's apartment to see her and her doorman said, no, she's headed to the country. So he knew what was going on. 
So Jonathan and Jan, they head back to the city, and Brad follows a few days later with the promised music and a determination to win Jan, Jan back. His grand plan is to hire Jan, the interior designer, to redo his apartment in a way that would be suitable for a future wife instead of the bachelor pad style he's currently enjoying. Jan, wanting some revenge, decks his space out in the most horrendous colors, textiles, and art pieces, including like a fertility goddess statue uh, that she can find. She's quite proud of herself, and while Brad is convinced that his plan is working, she's really sticking it to him. So when Jonathan takes Brad over to his apartment for the big reveal, Brad is less than amused. So he storms over to Jan's apartment gets her maid Alma, who is an alcoholic, to just let him in, grabs Jan out of bed, and walks all the way back to her apartment, throwing her on the couch or the bed, I can't remember. At some point during this kidnapping, he mutters the words wedding, and that is all it takes for Jan to forgive him. And they live, I, I guess, happily ever after. <laughs> so I, that was kind of a pessimistic summary. Because mainly because of that one scene, I also not quite sure I like the idea of the fake relationship in this particular context. When they both know it's a fake relationship, I like that plot line. When one does not know, I'm not a huge fan. But this one is is easy to like because of Doris Day and Rock Hudson. They are very good at what they did, and the chemistry between the two is a lot of fun. I'm also a big fan of Tony Randall and his voice, which I think it sounds oddly similar to the Charlie in the Box on the Island of Misfit Toys in the classic claymation holiday gym, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It just, it sounds so similar to me. Next time you watch Rudolph, just think of Tony Randall. What's not so fun? Rock Hudson making homophobic remarks as Brad trying to get Jan to believe that his alter ego Rex is a homosexual. It's a tough pill to swallow when you realize that Rock Hudson was forced to live the vast majority of his life as a closeted gay man. I can't imagine, I can't imagine the stress or the hurt or the, the fear that he would, he would have doing scenes like that. They have to be rough. And the fact that they just threw that in a lot in the 1960s is also rough. Then there's Jan's alcoholic maid, Alma, who says the line... I don't get easily offended, <laughs> but sometimes this little lines like this offend me. Says the line, if there's anything worse than a woman living alone, it's a woman saying she likes it. As a single woman living very happily alone, I take great offense to that. It, it's possible, Alma. It's possible. Or the fact that party lines ever existed, that that rubs me the wrong way, because I definitely cannot, would not want to pick up a phone and accidentally listen to a perfect stranger trying to seduce someone on the other end of the line, that would be so uncomfortable. And then if you could never get through, oh, that would be hard, horrible. I can see why Jan would be upset. So that's pillow talk. <laughs> that is pillow talk. I do like it. Just there's things that upset me. But let's then dive into Down With Love that came out in 2003 starring Renee Zellweger and Ewan McGregor, which is it's going to be kind of complicated to summarize because it's a very convoluted plot, and I'm going to try to keep it short. It's definitely a parody and homage to the sex comedies of the 1960s with some direct scene reimaginings to Pillow Talk, which is a lot of fun. So if you watch them together, which I highly recommend, that's where the fun really comes in. So let's see if we can get this. Barbara Novak is a small 
town girl from Maine. She has written a book called Down With Love and has traveled to New York City to get it published. It's The book's about freeing women from love so that they can enjoy sex like a man does without commitment and feelings and a, replace the need eventually for a man with chocolate. They're just going to eat a lot of chocolate. Vicky, her editor, isn't getting the support that she wants from her all-male executives at Banner House, so she decides to do things her own way. Plan A is to get Barbara an interview with Catcher Block, ladies' man, man's man, man about town, the lead journalist in No Magazine for Men in the Know. The owner of the magazine, Peter McManus, agrees for Catcher on his behalf for this interview because he's kind of in love with Vicky. So Catcher isn't exactly a willing participant. After leaving Barbara hanging on more than one occasion to woo a slew of beautiful stewardesses, she ditches the idea of getting into No the magazine, and Vicky starts plan B, which is to get Barbara and her book on the Ed Sul- Sullivan show. They somehow get Jody- Judy Garland to sing the song Down With Love on television, and the book sales ro- skyrocket. All across the world, women are taking, you know, buying these books and taking everything to heart and saying, I want to be a down with love woman. I want to have sex like a man without emotions. And I can maybe get rid of this husband that's driving me crazy. So now Catcher is all about the idea of interviewing Barbara because now it's a juicy story, but she she just flat out rejects him. That doesn't go over well with him. So he starts his own plan to prove that the down with love author isn't so down with love. This is where the story starts to sound a lot like pillow talk. Catcher takes a persona known as Zip, a country boy who works for NASA this time and pretends to have no idea who Barbara is, which is great for Barbara because she's having a hard time getting a date as the leader of the Down With Love gals. They start hanging out all of the time. But Kit Catcher slaps slash Zip makes sure to end the evening early so that Barbara never gets to have sex like a man. Basically, he's doing his darndest to build a relationship so that she gets attached, starts to feel emotions, and chocolate just won't cut it anymore, and thus outing her as not a down-with-love girl. At one point, Barbara decides to end things because she admits that she is, in fact, starting to have feelings. But Catcher slash Zip scurries to convince her that he's ready to get to know her all the way better, as opposed to just getting to know her better. Which leads to an evening where they're at Catcher's own bachelor pad, and he's pretending it's Peter's apartment, smooching on the couch when one of Catcher's stewardess friends stops by for sex a la carte, which is what they call sex like a man, because she's read the book and is now a down with love girl. Seeing he's indisposed, she turns to leave, but realizes his current conquest is none other than the famous author. So one, Catcher has been outed. He's not, in fact, Zip Martin, astronaut. He is the journalist that turned her down from No Magazine. And number two, Barbara then dives into a Here's where it gets convoluted. Convoluted confession of her own. So once upon a time, she was Catcher's secretary. Her real name is Nancy Brown, and she was secretary for him for three and a half weeks. She falls in love with him or fell in love with him, and when he asked her out, she turned him down because she just didn't want to become another notch on his bedpost. She knew she had to do something special, something different, something that would really get his attention. So her plan was to write a bestseller, because that just happens. Have her editor try to set up an interview with him, knowing that he would never show up, fight with him over the phone, and then wait for the sales to skyrocket, because that was apparently inevitable, 
forcing him to finally take action by pretending to be someone, someone who wouldn't have sex on the first date, to get back at her, who was pretending to want to have sex on the first date, leading to lots and lots of dates together. Except that even though her plan worked, and catch her, and I mean, that's the plot, <laughs> the plot of that first act and a half of the movie. Um, even though it worked, Catcher and Catcher is in love with her now. She can't go through with it because she realizes she became the woman she pretended to be. She became a down with love woman eventually. It gets even more convoluted than that. Catcher has to kind of grovel. Barbara slash Nancy's plan has a second phase and eventually the two live happily ever after. So... <laughs> They did a really good job. They did a really good job of going perfectly over the top with the parody without making it super campy. There is, of course, the fake persona storyline that's familiar, a cameo from Tony Randall, which is kind of awesome, and heaps of sexual innuendo. But there's also some, there's this coolest scene. It happens in Pillow Talk where Doris Day, Jan, is in the tub and she's it's, she's on the left-hand side of the screen and Brad, Rock Hudson, is on the right-hand side of the screen. And he is in a different tub. They're in their separate apartments. But because of the split screen, it looks like they are talking to one another or sharing the same tub. So when they, like, move their leg and put it on the wall, they do it at the same point so it looks like their feet are together. They do a very similar scene a very similar scene in Down With Love. I'm not going to describe that one because it is a little more sexualized in in the adaptation but it's fun to see them take those direct elements modernize them a bit and have some fun with them there's also so in the bachelor pad in both movies brad slash catcher they have um, buttons next to their couch and if you click one button a bar comes out from the window if you click another one the couch becomes a bed if you click another one music comes on and all the lights go off they use that same element in both of the movies too which i really liked and there is a musical number at the end which is fun i i read somewhere that Ewan McGregor and Renee Zellweger insisted on having in the credits a musical number because it just seemed right. One, because it fits with the 1960s movies, especially Doris Day. She was typically singing in, at some point in most of her movies. But also because they had both been in musicals before. Uh, Ewan McGregor had been in Moulin Rouge and Renee Zellweger had been in Chicago, so they really wanted to sing. That's kind of fun that they went ahead and did that. So they did, they did a really good job with it. And while I love the movie and the parody of the original, which I also kind of love, even though it has some issues with, there are still some elements that make me squidgy. One in particular, um, when Catcher is skipping out on all of his initial meetings with Barbara, he refers to his stewardess friends, we're going to call them friends, as dogs, my little French poodle, my English foxhound, the Swedish, sweetest Swedish lap hound. It's meant to be cute. I think, but it just doesn't set right with me. I don't like it ever when a woman is referred to as a dog in any capacity. And actually, the premise that a smart, ambitious, capable woman who has the world at her fingertips after, well, I'm not sure there was tons of work, seems like it was all just smoke and mirrors good luck about the bestseller. Um, But the fact that she would do all of that and find the success that she does have and then just the whole time be obsessed with a man and doing it really the entire time for a man is frustrating too. I know the scheme is part of the charm of the movie. And as long as you don't think too hard about it, it's a lot of fun to watch, but dang it, 
this podcast makes me think too hard about these movies. This is the problem. I never really think about these things until I sit down to watch them specifically for the podcast. And I'm like, wait a second. There's a lot. There's a lot here. A lot to talk about. Anyway, that's all for today. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Pillow Talk or Down With Love or fake relationships. Oh, by the way, have you watched the Tinder Swindler yet on Netflix? I would love to hear your thoughts on that because that story is wild. It is wild. Um, Or you could tell me your thoughts about 1960s sex comedies. To be honest, I'd love to hear your opinions on anything, dear listener. And tune in to the next episode where we are going to discuss the phenomena of how opposites attract in Barefoot in the Park, which I really love. Um, Jane Fonda and I just completely forgot his name. Oh my goodness. This is going to drive me nuts. Okay, I just had to pause and look it up because I, I couldn't take it. Robert Redford. How do I forget Robert Redford's name? I mean, he's no Paul Newman, which... I think we'll probably talk about eventually, but so it's Jane Fonda and uh, Robert Redford and then um, Opposites Attract in Two Weeks Notice with Sandra Bullock and Hugh Grant, which is one of my favorites. But thank you so much for listening. Really, it is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review so that other awesome individuals like you who like random conversations about pop culture with someone who doesn't really know what they're talking about can join in on the fun as well. Or if you want to share the podcast, that would be wonderful too. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook as A Bit of Fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today, and I will see you next time.